Back to Luke after our holiday hiatus from this marvelous gospel account. In chapter 11, we'll pick up where we left off last time at verse 29. The last thing we heard from Luke was the voice of an individual rising above the crowd that had formed around Jesus um, and, uh, and Jesus' own response to her. Typically, uh, uh, Luke pays attention to women, and uh, this is no exception. He learned that habit from his own master, and even quotes her as she cried out to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. Jesus responds to her, not with disagreement, but with confirmation, and then builds upon that thought, as was his habit so often, making the most, as he did, of the opportunities afforded him by what others said. Blessed, Jesus responded, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed indeed, but not uh, all, alas, who hear the word of God uh, keep it. In fact, many people heard the words of Jesus, even from his own incarnate lips, but they did not hear it, we might say. Not really, because they didn't keep it. They were not content with his word only, but demanded signs also. They wanted miracles before they would believe, or at least so they said. In all actuality, they didn't want miracles either to believe. They, they just plain didn't want to believe. And they masked that rebellion with disingenuous requests for miracles. They remained in their darkness, in their self-imposed darkness, their blindness, and they loved it that way. And many people are the same way today. People who say things like, I would believe if only you would give me a sign. If only you would give me a miracle, then I would believe. Well, people who say things like that only show that they really don't want to believe at all. Jesus knew that, and he understood that about these uh, here. But the really important question for us this morning is what he knows about you. About you and this generation. Are you a believer in him? Are you a true follower of Christ? Or are you still holding out or claim to be holding out for some sort of sign, some sort of miracle? Still refusing to take him simply at his word. Let's pray. Father, may that not be the case for any of us. But may we have open hearts and good eyes to receive what you have to say to us now. Your word is more than sufficient. Make it so now, we pray, by your Holy Spirit's work in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, that is, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up 
at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemned them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. I think you are all at least aware, or most of you, of my mother's eye condition, and having uh, faithfully prayed for her in these recent months and years, for which, by the way, she and I are both deeply grateful. They've been a great encouragement to us both. She suffers a condition known as uveitis, which has, along with the treatments for it, slowly stolen her ability to see well. Complications from the medications used to treat the condition have led to cataracts that have had to be removed. Surgeries intended to reduce the high pressure in her eyeballs has threatened her eyesight because they've had the effect actually of lowering the pressure too far. It's all been a sobering reminder to me of the way we take good eye health so terribly for granted and so rarely are conscious of the fact that any of us could lose that wonderful gift at any time. But there is a condition that is far, far, far worse than physical blindness. My mother will see And she will see wonderfully. She'll see with her physical eyes better one day than she ever saw when they were at their very best. The condition of which I speak is spiritual blindness. The consequence of which, if left unremedied, is beyond anything you want to imagine. People suffering bad spiritual eyes surrounded Jesus during his spiritual ministry, uh, his earthly ministry, that is. As the crowds around him began to build this day, he began to say this generation is an evil generation. Now, he wasn't simply spouting off. He wasn't reacting to a few bad eggs in the crowd who had gotten under his skin that day. There's a context here. Opposition has been growing and building against Jesus. Religious leaders were regularly putting him to the test, making demands of him under the guise, oftentimes, of genuine interest. In reality, they hated him. And they hated him with a passion from the depths of their hearts. Of course, there would be some who would be saved. 
some even Pharisees who would come to eternal life through faith in him. The Bible makes that much perfectly clear. But on the whole, what Jesus found when he came on his saving errand to earth as the Messiah uh, was rejection and unbelief. This matter of demanding signs, that is demanding miracles from him, was symptomatic of their inward rot and rottenness and rebellion. So Jesus flatly refuses, refuses to give them a sign. Well, maybe that surprises you a little bit, you know. Is Jesus being a little bit unreasonable, maybe? You know? Ask for a sign, you know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you... Expect that maybe he'd he'd say, well, if a sign is all you need, I'll gladly give you one. Why didn't he give them a sign? Because he knew what was in their hearts. He knew that those demands rose from skepticism, not from a genuine desire to believe. Even if he had given them a sign that day, they still wouldn't have believed. And, and look, hasn't he already given them plenty of signs as it is? You think about it. How many miracles he's done. He's given healing to the lame. He's cast demons out from people who are demon-possessed. He's even raised the dead. You know, good grief. How many signs did they need anyway? The answer is that they didn't need any more signs. Their problem was not a shortage of signs. It was a shortage of sight. And they had plenty of light falling on them from the outside. What they needed were eyes to see that light, to bring that light in. The light already in plenteous amounts available to them. Friday night, I was reminded of the importance of both light and sight. The explosive uh, sound accompanied by the sight in my mirror of sparks flying out from under the trailer, conspired to tell the tale. It was a blowout, so I pulled over and let me tell you, the Natcher Expressway at mile marker 17 is a very, very dark place in the middle of the night. When you have to stop at the side of the road in the country and turn off your headlights, you know darkness. I called the dispatch confirmed that the darkness would remain for a time. It would be at least an hour before someone could come and replace the tire. Well, grateful for God's wonderful gift of light, even in its artificial forms, such as headlights of oncoming traffic and the way it bounces off of things, you know, like triangular reflectors. I walked back and dutifully placed them at 100 feet and 200 feet. Debbie McPherson would be very proud of me uh, for that. Uh, I donned my reflective vest so that passing drivers would see and hopefully avoid me. Even eventually the service truck appeared, and when it did, there was light. And I mean to say there was light aplenty in every direction. Light was emanating from that repair vehicle. I still had to hold a a flashlight over the serviceman's shoulder to illuminate the axle under which he put the pneumatic jack and the toolbox from which he pulled his sockets and the lug nuts on which he uh, put them and the bracket on which he mounted the new mud flap and 
so on. But the real marvel of it all is the marvel that escaped the attention of both of us there on the Natchez Parkway Friday night, and that is this, that we could see the light. Just think about it. You know, as marvelous as light bulbs are and reflectors and spotlights and flashlights, the real wonder of it all is this. That little organ, or rather two of them, that captures incoming light and sends messages to the brain that it in turn translates into images. The outline of black lug nuts on gray gravel, reds and yellows and white reflections, different shades of rust on nuts and bolts, fingers moving in the darkness and sharp knives. Without sight, all the light, all the light in the world would do us little good. I mean, imagine if that serviceman had arrived on the scene, jumped out of his truck, and immediately started blindly, you know, groping around for what needed to be fixed. No amount of light would have done any good. It could have been high noon. All the light in the world is useless without sight. But that's exactly where many people live their lives every day. Today, I'm not talking about out in the world now, those people, you know, people out there. Jesus was not talking about the world when he spoke of bad eyes being full of darkness. He was speaking, Jesus was speaking to the church. He was speaking to the church of his day. These people were synagogue goers. These were religious People, they were churchgoers. You'd catch these people in the pew every week, and some of them in the pulpits. But even they were just the blind leading the blind. Their eyes were bad. Even with the light that is Jesus shining right before them, they remained in their darkness. How sad. How terribly sad. What a terrible tragedy to have the light but not see it. There is none so blind, you know the saying, as he who will not see. They preferred their blindness to sight. So when they demanded signs, demanded that Jesus do miracles for them, they weren't looking for light. Even when Jesus did perform miracles, they either did not believe, or as we saw just a few verses back, ascribed Jesus' power to the devil. Now, they didn't need any more signs. The problem was not a shortage of signs. As I say, it was a shortage of sight. That was Jesus' point of the whole lamp illustration here. Elsewhere, Jesus compares us as Christians to lamps, right? To shine the gospel into the world. That's not what he's talking about here in verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who, may, who, those who enter may see the light. I say, we're not the lamps in this illustration. Our eyes are the lamps. And it's not into the world that the lamps are to shine, but right into us. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. And you know what happens when you turn on a lamp, right? You walk into a room that's dark, you flip on a switch, and suddenly, if it's working properly, the room floods with light, The light dispels the darkness. So just so, verse 34, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. 
These people who taunted Jesus for signs had bad eyes, bad lamps, and therefore the rooms of their hearts were dark and remained dark. Giving them more signs would have been something akin to what we men do when we walk into a room where the lamp doesn't work. We flip the switch, and then we flip it again, and then we flip it again and again. Click, 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 click. We, we men folk are kind of slow that way. <laughs> it takes us a while to process it. Uh, the problem is, of course, not the switch, it's the lamp. Now, for any of you in the hearing of my voice right now who have darkened lamps, that is bad spiritual eyes, that may not be a particularly big deal for you. Okay, you say, so what? Even if I do have bad spiritual eyes, what do I care? What do I care about Jesus? Ah, but there's the rub. You can't see it because your spiritual blindness keeps you from seeing it right now, but you desperately need Jesus. You can't do without him. You can't live without him. That's the thing about living in the darkness. You're so much in the dark You don't even realize your need of light. You've lost your ability to see altogether. I think of those creatures that live in the bottoms and and, uh, deep recesses of caves, you know, and caverns, or at the bottom of the ocean, who've lost their ability to see precisely because they're in the darkness. I've grown accustomed to living like that. Well, so too. You have grown accustomed to living at such a low spiritual pitch that you don't even realize that there's so much more. There's so much joy. There's peace. It passes all understanding. So much blessing. Confidence about the future. About eternity. There is in some salvation to be had In Jesus, when you take him at his word and trust him, repent of your sins and give him charge of your life, there is forgiveness and there's so much more. There is life, there is light, but your lamp needs to be fixed in order for you to see it. You must have spiritual eyes and only the Holy Spirit can do that. He's the only repairman who can fix that lamp of your eye. The eye of your heart. And you know what? He's glad to do it. He loves to do it. He's glad when you ask to fix your lamp. But you persist. Well, what of it, you say? So what if I don't have spiritual eyes? So what if I don't have Jesus? I go to church. I go to church. I'm a good person. I'm even religious. You know, that's exactly the sort of thing these people said. They were very religious people. They thought themselves pretty good. They went to church every week. But Jesus makes it clear that all of their religion, all of their, we might call it religiosity, all of their quote-unquote goodness, All of their church attendance amounted to nothing. Nothing. If they didn't have him. 
They were still in the darkness, even as they're singing the hymns. They're singing in the dark. And they were taunting him in the dark. So Jesus informs this religious church-going, nice group of people that others one day, one terrible day, will rise up and bear witness against them. And those others will bear witness against them will come from some of the most surprising of places, especially for Jews, whom Jesus was addressing first with these words. First, the Queen of the South. Jesus says, verse 31, the Queen of the South is going to rise up and condemn them. Now, why would this queen, we know her as the Queen of Sheba, why would this Gentile woman condemn these religious people, Jewish men to boot, at the judgment day? Well, she came from the ends of the earth, Jesus says, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Actually, she came from a place we now uh, call Yemen, an arduous desert journey to visit King Solomon and to listen and to believe what he said and taught out of his God-given wisdom. She did all that for Solomon. Now, someone greater than Solomon stands right before them, that is Jesus, but they won't have him. They don't believe in him. So the Gentile queen who believed King Solomon, small k, will condemn them for not believing the capital K, King Jesus. Another surprising source of condemnation will be the Ninevites. Really? The Ninevites? You mean that notoriously bloodthirsty group of violent Gentiles? You've got it. (laughs) Those are they. Uh, The ones who repented when Jonah preached to them. But now someone greater than Jonah stands right before them. That is Jesus. But they don't believe him. So the Ninevites who repented under reluctant prophet Jonah's message will condemn them for not believing the greater prophet, capital P prophet, Jesus. Here's my concern for you this morning right here. It is this. What will the Ninevites and what will the Queen of Sheba have to say about you at the Judgment Day? What witness will they bear about you? Will the Queen of the South's faith stand in stark contrast to your unbelief? albeit very religious, unbelief? Will the Ninevites' repentance stand in bold relief to your unrepentant heart that day? I pray that it will not. And I pray for every one of you, and I have and I will, that it will not. I pray instead you will find yourself standing shoulder to shoulder with that queen, faith locking arms with faith. I pray that the broken hearts of those saved Ninevites will find good and like company with your broken and contrite hearts. And Jesus wants the same thing. I think we see something of that desire in verse 30. 
even for those who taunted him that day. You know, after refusing to give this evil generation one more sign, he turns right around and gives them one more sign anyway. It would be a bit delayed, this sign would, but it will come, Jesus says. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except. <laughs> Isn't Jesus gracious? Kind and loving. No sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Okay, so what, what's this sign? What's the sign of Jonah he's talking about? Well, for that we need to go back to Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus explains a little further. In Matthew 12, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now you all remember the story of Jonah fleeing from his divine uh, assignment to preach repentance to the Ninevites. He goes the opposite direction. Eventually, as the events of course go, he finds himself in the belly of a fish for three days and, and then being vomited out onto the land. It is as though Jonah comes back from the dead. Well, so it is with Jesus, not in a fish, but in the belly of the earth, a grave. Jesus stayed for three days. But then, then he rose again, burst from that grave, triumphant even over death itself. Now that has become for us the sign of signs. This is the chief of all signs, the chief, the highest of all miracles. Jesus is risen from the dead. And try as they might and certainly have in this skeptical day and age in which we live to undermine that sign, to rebury that sign, to deny that sign, no one has ever been able to put Jesus back into that grave again. That's the sign for today. It's a sign for all times. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the answer for everyone who says to this day, if only Jesus would give me a sign, I would believe. Well, here's your sign. Christ rose from the dead. Here's your sign, an empty tomb, only linen cloths left, and the face cloth worn by Jesus on his head in the grave, not lying with the other cloths, but placed folded neatly by itself. Here's your sign. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you can't see the sign, then you plead with God to remove the scales, the spiritual cataracts from your eyes. Jesus has promised that his Father will give that Holy Spirit to everyone who asks him. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to, to see Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Opens our eyes to see Jesus. And when he does, and when you do, all darkness will be dispelled from your heart. And then one day, the dawn will break on eternal day when Darkness will be banished completely, and all will be light for all those who have received him. Amen.